Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Kathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy Hello, sitting in front of me, albeit a very long way away, is Marie Vakakis. Uh, Marie is the founding director of her own brand, which we will absolutely need to talk about, marievakakis.com. Is it dot, dot .au as well? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, got that one. But also um, has another business, the Therapy Hub. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to be on the other side having interviewed you a while ago. <laughs> well, you're a podcaster. We'll have to add that to our list of yeah. things to get through as well. But um, I think we should almost start with what we stopped just a couple of minutes ago about this current climate for business owners right mm. now. And I um, shared that I was talking with someone earlier who sort of said COVID was easier and more structured and somewhat predictable than this current kind of state we're in. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I never thought I would say that that was easier than this right now. Um, yeah. it, just different challenges, I think very different challenges. And perhaps in COVID there was a collective understanding of how difficult it is. I think at the moment with the financial pressures and the climate, there's people are experiencing it very differently uh, and it's creating a different type of stress. So there's maybe less empathy that people have right now when it's a financial pressure rather than it was a global kind of, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, well, they could go out for three hours. I could go out for two. It was like we had the same rules for everybody here in Melbourne and it was just, we just did the best we can. Whereas now it's it's disproportionately affecting different families. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little bit of, well, we came together for that and now we're just fighting on our own mm. um, and sort of almost going the complete other, other way. So first up, tell us about your kind of professional background because that really sets the scene for what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, my, my first kind of qualification is in social work and then I went through my mental health social work accreditation and I also have a master's of family therapy so there are a few other kind of things sprinkled in there but I've combined the two and I work a lot with adolescents and their families and then um, kind of spinning off from couple uh, from family therapy is also doing some couples work so I use a lot of Gottman uh, method training and that kind of stuff as well uh, I do a lot of EMDR work, acceptance and commitment therapy. So I'm still very much in the counselling space. And then I opened up a practice called the Therapy Hub where I think we, to date we have about nine clinicians, a variety of different mental health backgrounds. And then uh, recently I started my own um, personal brand, I guess. So it's under my name. And through that I deliver mental health first aid training, uh, youth mental health first aid, uh, tuning into teens and my own program that I created and spent way too long <laughs> working on. Um, 
Yeah, hopefully called Connected Teens, which is bringing in um, family therapy frameworks and acceptance and commitment therapy into helping parents navigate that change from um, kind of primary school to high school. So that moving into adolescence, really focusing on the relationship between the parent and their teenager. I think we should talk a little bit more about this because I think there's a lot of clinicians who want to do an online course and want to do this and want to do that. And for a million and one reasons, don't get it finished. I think plenty start, but they don't get it finished. What were your motivations that really got you through all those extra hours? I had to make it novel and um, fun. So I actually uh, went to the library on a Saturday morning and I had a block of time. And then um, if I got my work done, I got to have a sandwich. <laughs> like, a, a, not, not, not that sounds like I was like depriving myself of food, a fancy kind of, there's this beautiful Italian deli that made these beautiful fancy sandwiches. And so I looked forward to it. It was, I think the library was kind of only open from like 10 to one or 10 to 12. So I'd go smash out some work in a quiet space without distraction and then look forward to the sandwich so I needed to do that for a little while to get going um and then I actually worked with a business coach who literally just said just pick a date just launch it just and then that then made the rest of it gave it a bit of pressure and trying to just think the first round is it's it's not going to be perfect it's just a matter of getting it done and I know the content I just needed to start Mm. Uh, and then I can refine, I can improve, I can tweak. So now that it's done, uh, one round of it, I can just go back, I can tweak my notes, I can adjust my slides, I can add in the feedback from this first round of participants and keep improving. So is it a program that is delivered live to uh, real humans on the other end of Zoom or whatever, or is it a online self-paced kind of course? Uh, it was a fusion. So the first time I tried it was to release the content, give people like the psychoed bit, give them a, a, almost a week to digest that and then have a live Q&A. Uh, so I'm playing around with the format. I'll see what's helpful. Yeah. But I wanted people to be able to digest the material in their own time. And a lot of research has come out with um, the emergence of telehealth showing that that has been a helpful strategy for one-on-one sessions where we used to give people the psychoed and then say, now go practice it. And now trying to do that, the reverse where it's like, here's the thing to listen to or read. Let's practice it live. Yes. So I'm, I'm try- I was trying to bring in some of that literature about adult learning and the way that we've adapted to telehealth into this session. So someone can listen to it as a podcast, like they're just the audio, they can watch the video, they can rewind it, pause it, do whatever they need. There's a little workbook. workbook. And then we can summarize and go through how did you find that? How can you practice it? What can we do? What's going to be a struggle? And integrate that in the live question. So it was a it was a hybrid. Yeah. Okay. That makes that makes sense. It also gives you good flexibility to move content around and modify learning activities and bring in speakers and all the all the rest. Oh wow, yeah. well done. Well done. Well done. So what about the therapy hub? Gorgeous website. Took a look. Oh, thank you. Um yeah, the people that designed that did a really great job bringing our vision to um to fruition. Yeah. We focus a lot on working with adolescents and we have quite a sort of neurodiverse affirming, gender and sexuality affirming practice. So we work a lot with, we have a lot of young people that see us who are ADHDers, autistic, uh, gender diverse, sexuality diverse, non-binary, like the 
whole spectrum there. And then we work with their families. So we do incorporate a lot of family work, even in those first few sessions. Not everybody's family therapy trained, but we do bring in family. And then we have uh, different clinicians within the team that have different sort of, I guess, areas of interest on top of that as well. So quite established uh, reputation quite quickly for working with, with teenagers and young adults. And, um, yeah, some couples uh, find their way to us as well. So a lot of our practitioners are also sex work affirming, uh, affirming of different relationship structures, and people who are looking for that will find us as well. And that's located in the inner In Footscray, yep. yeah. In the inner, inner west of Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. So from a business point of view, if we just think about the therapy hub, where where have your business smarts come from here, like? Doesn't happen overnight as a rule. No, it started um, with podcasts. Actually, uh, there was a few podcasts that I listened to. Yours was one of them. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, we spoke at the start of your big adventure. Yeah, a couple of other um, podcasts, and then that planted the seed and gave me some mm-hmm. ideas of where to start. And then I started with coaching. I did small group coaching, like the bare minimum. It was like fifty dollars a month for like one live Q&A. I started with the smallest thing first and then built that up to more intensive one-on-one coaching and really had to take it seriously that if it was just me as a solo trader, as a sole trader, I probably didn't need to do anywhere near as much. But a team and, and that infrastructure and making sure that it crossed all the T's and dotted I's and there was good clinical oversight and also, you know, fiscal responsibility, marketing, branding, like there was a lot that went into that. Um, it was, I had to invest money and time and that took, uh, that just took a process of building and building and trying. And then also, I mean, I had to reduce my client load. So it was really tricky. It's still an ongoing process. Mm. When you introduce yourself, do you introduce yourself as clinician or as business owner or as something else? Usually as clinicians, I'll say I'm a mental health social worker, um, and trainer. So I talk about the the training and the workshops and the therapy side. Yeah. Do you think you might, your role may get to the point that you're managing an executive team or managing a leadership team and those spectacular people are doing the training and doing all the management of the clinicians? Um, I'll never say never because what I loved about social work to start with was that I could move laterally and I had opportunities to move across sectors. So that entertained my brain because I like to try new things and learn new things. So it's it, it's not an aspiration. It's not something I'm actively working towards because I really like the balance I have now. Um, I love that I have a beautiful supportive admin team and a business manager who runs a lot of stuff. Um, I'm onboarding a VA who'll be helping out with the podcast and other things. So slowly, slowly outsourcing some of that, but I still really enjoy the creative role. And I love client work. I still, you know, I'm doing redoing my level two EMDR training tomorrow. I'm <laughs> doing, yeah, I'm doing my level two Gottman training later this year. Like I, I still love that stuff. Um, so at the moment I get to do a little bit of everything and I like that it can change over time. So a part of me wants to maybe have a trial of having like a sabbatical from client work and just spend maybe six months just training Um, But I like that I can pick and choose and I still enjoy all of those bits really. um, I I really do. Yeah, yeah. That that reminds me of um, a business owner that I know who I've done a lot of work with 
and, you know, now has a significant team. But when you actually ask a couple more questions, yes, waiting for you to ask me, I still see a few clients. But like you can kind of, you know, select where her value can go and where her interests can be expressed. And it might not be long-term clients. It might be coming in and doing some second opinion work or co-working with some of her team. But that uh, clinical DNA is still alive and and well. Mm. And um, I remember kind of listening to her speak that it feels as though it brings her some currency, it helps her um, stay in touch with the client experience and what's happening on the ground out there in the real world. Um, so, yes, I, I think that particular wonderful uh, business owner may always have, yeah, a couple of, a couple of clients booked in. It's my look at this at this stage of my life, it's my preference. And I've avoided my whole career any leadership opportunity that had no caseload. I didn't want that. I never wanted that. I always want, went for like a senior clinician role or a practitioner specialist practice. Like I wanted to, I still wanted the the load, the client load, because I love that work. It's what I spent, you know, a decade of tertiary study working on. So to essentially just establish that level of skill and then move into leadership and management didn't feel like it was a natural thing for me so and I don't want to run a bigger practice I don't want it to to get so big that it needs me because then I was like well if I wanted to do that I would have studied commerce or an MBA (laughs) it's not it's just not where where I see the value it's in I like I was running a parenting course of tuning into teens and we had a session last night and it's seeing the results it's seeing the parents shift the relationship with their young people I love doing that work um, I'd love to train other people to 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 spread the word, but not to take it off me because I love it. But I'm like, <laughs> I'd be wrestling them. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't have that. No, yeah, you can't. No, you can... that, that. no, 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 not that. Yeah, person. like we can co-facilitate. <laughs> yeah, it's that beautiful um, experience of flow, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a matter of trust, not trusting someone or or anything like that. It's I genuinely enjoy it. I I get a a real rush and a real high f- after those sessions. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your team in really general terms. Have you found them through recruitment? Have they found you through the nature of your work? Um, what are all, they? All yeah. of that. All yeah. of that. Um, a lot have been personal and professional contacts. Um, then some of those people have recommended us to their contacts. And um, I think one or two just cold replied to a job ad um but that that branding the you know i'm i have the podcast which was inside social work is now now this complex life i'm quite active on linkedin i put a lot of things out there on social media so it it showed very clearly the kind of person i am and the practice that i have and so we didn't have anybody that came to us and was surprised by how we work they knew that we were a queer friendly space. They knew that we worked with young people. They knew that we incorporate families in sessions. So it meant that the few that came to us already had a really good idea of why they wanted to be part of the therapy hub, whether it was the training. Um, I coordinate the local mental health professionals network. We have a peer supervision group for schema therapy. We have in-house supervision. Uh, we, 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 those who like that found us. Yeah. yeah. There was a little bit of everything. Yeah. Oh, so good. Now, podcasting. Now, that is not for everyone. What do you love about it? 
Well, for once, I get to talk instead of just listening. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I didn't actually, the the whole Inside Social Work podcast series, I think it was four years, was mostly interviews, which is so easy to do because I'm a therapist. So mm-hmm. I would find someone who had something that either piqued my interest or I, I heard about somewhere doing amazing work, and then I brought them in to kind of have a voice. And it started off as a side project for, um, I was working with some students as their field educator through a university and I just interviewed the local um the organizations that had students on placement so I just interviewed them saying can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do so that the students could get a sense of all the other social work placements that existed uh, so I was just expecting you know 10 15 like you know half the students of that small group to just listen and then I started to really enjoy it and I you know that I got better at managing my time at the kinds of questions I asked, the tech slowly got better and it became actually a really valuable uh, connecting thing for me. I really love networking. And then now because I don't offer anything for social workers career-wise, it felt like it didn't align with my business. So I was interviewing other social workers mostly about their journey to become a social worker and then I offered nothing. I had, I didn't offer, I wasn't like, I do supervision. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do supervision, but I didn't offer like, like I'm not an expert in supporting someone through their accreditation pathway. I didn't have a, you know, managing burnout. Like I had nothing that actually worked with that cohort. So I've tweaked the podcast now to be that psycho ed bit that you would hopefully use in either therapy or just in work with people. So I'm still interviewing the similar similar kinds of professionals but I'm asking them about a skill set that's helpful for the general population. So the episode that got released most recently, um, Dr. Lilian Najad, I've interviewed her before about sort of managing anxiety as a practitioner, and now we've talked about how can people understand worry, what are the tools and techniques. So it's that psychoed bit which then fits more neatly into the therapy hub and that training and psychoed bit that I do on the side um, so it just feels like a bit more aligned. So the first podcast was Inside Social Work and mm-hmm. is that paused and you've replaced it with? Yeah, it's just it's the same RSS feed. So if people yeah. were following me wherever they find it, it's just switched to the, the new stuff. So Interesting. I find um, that podcasting just 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 we'll take that out captures moments in time you know it it captures stories and narratives and examples and it's I likened it to a time capsule and my motivation was capturing the amount of effort allied health business owners put into their businesses and Mm. capturing their experiences and the and the like and it's quite a pragmatic kind of way of connecting with people as well. Like whilst you might never meet your listeners, we meet a lot of our listeners, but while you probably won't meet all of them, you know that they're walking the dog or in the car or driving somewhere or waiting for school pickup or whatever else. And it entertains me no end to sort of think about whose ears are kind of tuned in and, and what they're doing while they're actually listening Mm. that just oh makes me laugh makes me laugh it can be quite intimate and I've I've recently connected 
in either video format or in face-to-face with people whose podcasts I had listened to. Mm. And it's quite a surreal experience because you feel like you intimately know them. Some of them I'd even join their mailing list so I could keep updated with the resources that they shared. And it's it was just another way of connecting. Yeah. Um, and the smile continues because um, listeners have come up to me when I've been out and about and so sort I of said, oh, my God, you're exactly the same. I said, yes, I'm the same everywhere. Like there's no better version. Like it's just N equals one. <laughs> Is that, yeah, that's a weird. I, I guess I could say that. Yeah, I understand what they mean. Yeah. No, I haven't been I haven't been seen yet. I'm not a celebrity. Oh. It's, <laughs> it's just happened at conferences and events and you know, um I, I just I just think it's funny. I just laugh. I just it just makes me smile. It just makes me smile. Running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent. It's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement. We have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going. That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and pulse hope here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalized report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. Alrighty, so the Therapy Hub is this beautiful sanctuary and nurturing and all of that is captured beautifully in your in your website. Uh and then mariebakakas.com.au is your training department yeah. that you're doing. Yep. So tell us a little bit about what trainings you do and who yeah. are your clients really because I know it's gone from strength to strength since we last spoke. Yeah, so that's the bit. That's my, I guess, my my mission in that is to kind of demystify mental health and break down the stigma. So I run package training that I've been trained in. So Mental Health First Aid Australia, it's their, like a few of theirs, which is their intellectual property. Uh, and I do that a lot in schools, the youth mental health first aid one, a lot of community organisations, um, and then the adult one. So workplaces will sometimes do that, uh, different um well, pretty much workplaces and community centres. I do sometimes run them face-to-face, like public available, people just buy a ticket, but they tend to be a little bit trickier to get that many people to find the same time that they're available. It's yeah, it's a bit harder. Um, and then I've started writing, but I haven't quite launched some educational resources for practitioners. So bringing in kind of what I used to do with the the Inside Social Work podcast, but this is more like how to engage young people, um, navigating tricky conversations. So trying to put that education out there in Mm -hmm. bite-sized webinars. So that's still in process of kind of being developed. So that'll take a little while to launch. And then I do um, the parenting stuff. So the Connected Teens, which is my program, uh, I'm going to be tweaking that book and doing a series of interviews, another round of interviews with parents. Um, I'm doing it like almost like a research project. So I'm interviewing parents and using that um, to put back into the program, turn that into a, a published book, hopefully at some point. So that's wow. kind of, yeah, that's sort of that space. And then I get 
inquiries to do customized training. So someone might want me to come in and do a how do we like a understanding anxiety basics or some workplace well-being or having tricky conversations. So anywhere in that sort of mood disorders and relationship mental health space is where I sort of focus my attention on. Where do you spend most of your time? I do, yeah, I do um, two days of clinical work. So I have two full days where I'm in the practice seeing clients. I do one day where I have all my, like my admin meeting and then I do like my bookkeeping, my marketing, my I have that sort of thing. And then the other two days, um, that's where things kind of get mixed up. So there'll be business coaching, workshop development, training, um, networking, and then all the other kind of things that happen. I write, you know, I create all the content, I write all the blog posts, I do all the social media, record podcasts. So it's pretty, it's probably more heavily on the the therapy hub. So maybe like a 60, 40 of okay. time. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think it will stay like that? Or do you? Who knows? Know? Yeah, I'd love to, I really love to trial, um, working having an extended working holiday and see if I can do more of the training so maybe building up um, the systems in the practice to run while I then do you know I'd love to go to maybe escape the winter one day in Melbourne and do you know I'd love to do you know a really cliche thing but like six weeks in Bali where maybe two weeks is travel and the other four weeks I can do training consulting podcasting online courses so I'd love to have that flexibility to rearrange my schedule and have different things that work for different seasons. So, yeah, I think there will be ebbs and flows um, and I'm trying to, I used to work by the school terms, like kind of every three monthly, but I might tweak that a little bit. Um, I think I might need to batch my, my, my months a little bit different and actually just think what am I doing for this, this season? And, and I'm launching the programs in that way as well, where it's like, I launch a six-week program, then I might have six weeks off, then I might launch a different one and 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 trialling it. I guess the, the beauty is I don't have to stick to any one thing. It's just finding what works for me and what fits the season of my life now. Yeah. It's very liberating to step away from the school, the rigid school term structure and this 10 on to something, another 10 on to something else. Yeah. Um, and whether it's quarterly or monthly or four-monthly or trimesters or whatever, I think it's usually a good thing to sort of be pushing some of those boundaries around a little bit. Um, it's also going to make it a lot easier for you to get flights and good accommodation if mm. you're not. Uh, I think that, and I learned this the hard way because I did plan by the school terms because that's what suited my my work at the time. Once I scrapped that, I forgot to put in the break somewhere else and and then I kind of burnt myself out. So because I work, you know, sometimes I'll do like a 60-hour week or I'll work a week and doing training and I felt like I could manage that if I then knew I had a week or two weeks off. Yeah, yeah. But when I didn't, I was like, oh, oh, I don't have anything planned so I'll keep going. I couldn't maintain that fast pace for that length of time. So I need to find a way and I'm still working on it of how do I allow for my excitement to take over and work with such intensity and then rest and then do it again. And I I like those sorts of sprints. So I'm still trying to figure out how that works so that I put in the rest time. 
COVID kind of set us up for a bit of that overworking and, well, why book a break? Because i got nowhere to go. Um, we're both Victorian and Melbourne-based here. So um, still got some scar tissue, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got us out of the habit of the mindset of deserving rest or getting it. We didn't even want to get ourselves excited and hopeful that we could even get away and do things even even last year in 20, you know, start of 2022, we're still pretty cautious. Totally. So there's good context for this yep. just lack of practice of putting those breaks in. Yeah. So that's that's something I'm trying to manage a bit better now. Yeah. I love to have um, the last week of a quarter off. I find that really, really good and I can do a bit of work if I want or I can do team-facing facing work um and so I've got certain rhythms about at the end of a month I do certain things at the end of a quarter I do certain things um and yeah I'm fortunate that I can sort of travel and do pretty much everything I need to do remotely uh time zones are super helpful but uh yeah I can certainly step outside uh those school holiday times as well so makes it all a little a little calmer yeah, that's great. It's it's tricky because I do work that I love and so sometimes I'll get really excited like I was sharing something with my admin team so she's like, how many hours do you work? I'm like, oh, but this bit was fun. She's like, but it's still work. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it was it was fun. <laughs> like, it's really <laughs> it's really hard to switch off because I, I will happily, like and I happily spend I think about four or five hours uh, creating this resource that's going to be available on the website and it didn't feel like work. Yeah, it was joy. It was flow. There was, um, yeah, good energy around it as well. Uh, so you mentioned you're writing a book and it's connected to Connecting Teens, your program. What's the book writing process like for you? Uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Nothing yeah, to I, I'm not a strong writer, so I just started writing the dot points for the workshops first and then um, I might reverse that into get the transcript, put it in, and then actually kind of get those dot points in. And then I think I will actually just go with someone like a publisher, like to help put that together. So, yeah, I think I know what I want to do. And and then I need that to be, I need someone who that's what they know how to do to make it flow and be in a language that's helpful for the consumer. Cause it might still be too psychobabbly because I, I might not know how to Your simplify it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you uh, have on the whiteboard, and you don't have to give away the sheep stations, but, you know, what are you thinking of developing next? Like what are you hearing about what you want to solve and help people with? Um, I think I've already started kind of working on it. It's just more of these courses. So um, the Connected Teens one is still going to be a a live or hybrid thing. I'm then now working on just digitising and using ACT for anxiety. So really thinking about the change in how we use telehealth is just I want to provide more and more resources for people that they can access by someone who they know, like, and trust already that then helps them with the next bit. So I'm looking at a kind of six-module Act for Anxiety kind of mini program, um, and I'm also sort of recording, um, starting to record some YouTube videos. So I've started doing um, like the the couples therapy book, mm. um, eight dates. And after each date that I do with my partner, I just get on YouTube and I kind of talk about the process of that. So really just trying to demystify some of the mental health um, or therapy kind of processes and just putting that out there. 
and then finding which ones are going to be helpful for current clients and which ones can go out more publicly. So it's that education bit that I really enjoy, trying to distill information into something that can be practical and helpful for for folks listening or watching. Yeah. What it sounds as though you're doing is you're creating sort of the intellectual property and getting the the framework of a, a program out and about or a book or whatever it is. But I suspect you are also needing to recruit a different team to support your personal brand and those course offers. So it's then about finding that crew who will do the editing, who will do the ghostwriting, who will do Mm. the graphics, who will do the internal layout, the cover design, who will do the videography, like on and on. Like you need a cast of a significant kind of cast and crew for that. How have you gone about finding those extra team members to get these programs oh um I do it all I am actually yeah yeah I'm really quite um proficient with using the tech so I do it all and now I'm just recording how I do it and I'll be um sending that out but I don't want it to be like there's a level of polish that feels good and then that feels unapproachable. So I'll keep tweaking and improving, but in terms of the cover tile and the, all that stuff, I just, I've got some templates. I did a quick course on Canva. I follow a few designers who've taught me some things and then like, I love that creative bit. So yeah, I do, I do most of it myself. And now I'll handball that system over to somebody else so I can do more of the bits um, that only I can do. Yeah. Because bringing in the, those trusted, skilled teammates to do those tasks do free you up to be differently creative and solve, able to solve kind of different different problems. So the systems are certainly important. Um, we've sort of found over the while that um, if we use the podcast as an example, we've found crew that do it way better than us. <laughs> we thought we were good, but they are way better again. And um you know, it sort of helped us up our game by bringing in expertise that we didn't even know we needed. Yeah, and that and that's just part of the natural evolution. So slowly, slowly, that'll get better and better. And um, it's trying to think what's the most uh, value for money. What's going to yeah. get me for? I'm not going to be a professional podcaster. So what's going to be the most helpful? Which platform do I show up on? What what is the best use of my time? And and that's a, a bit of a learning process, but also thinking about what I enjoy. Um, I don't love writing as much, but podcasting is really good. So how can I then work to my strengths? And then what can I outsource? So yeah, definitely keen to to level things up with new support. Yeah. From what I'm kind of hearing, you've done a really good job at diversifying your business and following in your instincts in a way and developing um, programs in different, yep. oh, you could use the word niches, it's not quite quite that. Um, so you've got training and consulting. We haven't really spoken about the, the supervision that you do. You're providing therapy services. Why do you think that diversification is so important for you? Yeah. I never thought of it from a business point of view. I actually just continued to do what was enjoyable for me. So as I was doing therapy, you know, I remember back right back in the start, you know, you'd you'd laminate resources, you kind of make your own things. Like you you wanted to kind of put a personal touch on what you did. And because I, I quite like 
you know, testing new technology and giving things a go, that just leveled up to podcasting and making videos and playing with reels and, and doing social media. So it became a way to serve the community and to create a better quality experience. And now it's trying to find a way to make that financially viable because a lot of it's still just, it, it hasn't been a return on my time anywhere near that yet. Um, even the therapy hub, like the the amount of money in coaching and even building a website and and fit outs and all of that stuff. Um, but it's I've just followed what I enjoy and then tried to link that to the same client group. So it wouldn't have made sense if I was seeing teenagers in my practice and then had a podcast that talked about, I don't know, climate change and then did <laughs> videos on cooking, you know, mm-hmm. like that would have spread that too thin. So it's trying to find a way to link them all kind of together so it's mental health and relationships and sort of that intersection because that's my intersection I am a family therapist and social worker who thinks systemically who's mental health and therapy trained so that fit nicely for me and now it's trying to find opportunities to get more people involved in those different elements and create revenue streams that can support the ongoing development of those resources so yeah it it kind of just I followed what interested me yeah, yeah. What do you think um, your business or businesses, let's call them two, what do you think they're going to look like in, say, five years' time? I hope it's more of the same. Um, I hope there continues to be a kind of growth, maybe not so much in team. Like I think there is a cap of how big I'd like to get before it just feels then I have to be in that full director role, which um, I don't want to do entirely, but I would like to be able to have more consistent um, training and workshops and do more of what I was saying, like have those hybrid working holidays where maybe I spend some time doing a workshop and then I have nothing else for that week and I can kind of plan those things a little bit more in advance. Yeah, yeah. So knowing what you know about business, knowing what you know about the allied health piece, what would you like to encourage other allied health business owners to think about, do about, just just your thoughts? I think it's my biggest learning has been to get ex- external support that I'm a trained therapist. I know nothing, I knew nothing about business. And if you're going to take on people and teams, it's not something you can just do ad hoc. You then become a small business owner. And that is a whole other job. You know, it's like you might be a really great chef, but if you open up a restaurant, you mm. then have to run a restaurant. Yeah. yeah so, you, and you need to f- figure out a way to learn what you need to learn enough that you can quality control and then outsource. So, you need to know basic bookkeeping. You need to know some basic tax stuff. You need to then get a, maybe a bookkeeper, an accountant. You might have a basic idea of, compliance stuff so you you need to take it seriously that you know it's not just as easy saying oh I've got an overflow of referrals I just can someone just give me a contractor template I can just copy and and have a contractor you know you you can't do that that's not okay you you run a business once you start doing that you're running a business it it, those things matter and it's not as easy as it's nowhere near not that I thought it was easy but it's much harder than I thought I don't know if I would do it again depends which day you ask me what's um, the at, hard about it 
with all those things I said, it's like, it's not just doing therapy. It's like the more people, then there's, you know, different tax responsibilities. There's, you know, there's bookkeeping and insurance and accounting and a lawyer. And then there's things with, you know, property rentals. And then that becomes a real estate agent and then becomes negotiating things that are broken. And then that involves plumbers and electricians <laughs> and, and a whole day can be ridden off by trying to chase up, you know, a busted pipe or, air conditioning not working or a glitch on the website or a f- issue with the people who still we still have to use faxes for some gp like oh so there's all of these things that are completely out of your control and it's like i just want to see clients mm-hmm. so it's 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 significant it's a significant undertaking yeah and you don't think you do it again I don't know. It depends which day you ask me. I, I, I love the day-to-day bit. I love the variety. I love, you know, that question you asked me about all those different um, components, how they fit in. I love that bit. But when I spend hours trying to figure out, you know, we had to we had to find on the day rooms for all our clinicians to go rent because our air conditioning broke and it was like 42 degrees. That I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy being on the phone trying to either try and cancel clients, move them to telehealth and find a local place we could hire, like that sort of stuff. It's just, it feels like, oh, my God, I wish this was anybody else's problem but mine. (laughs) Please take me away. Yeah. Please take me away. Anything else you'd like to add? Ooh, so tricky. Um, I think you can't do it alone. So I think whoever, whatever you do, find a professional, have a professional, just like we do with supervision, we know the importance of reflective reflective practice, find a business coach at whatever time you need. Like it can be any level of kind of quantity, a weekly, group, month, whatever, and find some peers. So once you move into that management role, your team aren't your friends. And I've found that quite difficult. Um, we have good relationships, but then I need other practice owners. I need someone else who gets my stresses and who can nut things out on that level. That's not the burden of my team. So yeah, I think it's finding that new community for where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. And um, you know, I've heard people sort of say it gets lonely in leadership. Oh, big time. You're just in your own think bubble, you're second guessing yourself. It was a good idea this morning. Now you're not so sure. <laughs> oh, that spiral of doubt, that spiral of doubt. So, yeah, you know, the, the coaching and the community in my business experience have been absolute game changers. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Such a pleasure to catch up and hear the latest and greatest. Thanks for Likewise. coming. Yes, Marie. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.